Hey, Tom here. Welcome to The Briefing. Do you have rich friends? Today, we're going to explore fascinating research from several leading American universities that finds that less well-off children who grew up in neighborhoods where 70% of their friends were wealthy increased their future incomes by 20%. The more friends that people have that are above median income, the higher the predicted income they're going to have when they grow up. So can friendships between the well-off and the not-so-well-off break the poverty cycle? And what does that tell us about the best way to design our cities? That is our briefing topic right after today's headlines with Annika Smethurst. It's Monday, September 5. Five million Aussies will be in line for the largest increase to their welfare payments in more than 30 years, and that's due to rising inflation. The age pension will rise by almost $39 a fortnight, and job seeker for singles will go up by $26 a fortnight. So these allowances have increased by 4%, which was the inflation rate for the six months to June 2022. And speaking of rising costs, tomorrow the cash rate is expected to go up another 0.5% to 2.35%. And that $0.22 a litre fuel excise relief will finish at the end of September. So your fuel bill will be going up as well. And the value of your house is probably going down. So pretty tough economic times, aren't they, Annika? Yeah, I guess this is why the pension rate is linked to things like inflation, because it might seem good that your payments are going up, but given you're going to be paying more for petrol and more for groceries, it's probably, sadly, going to be absorbed by that. And debate begins in the Senate today on the government's climate change bill. If it's passed, it will enshrine into law a 43% emissions reduction target by 2030. Now, the Greens are backing it, but they'll also table separate legislation that will introduce a climate trigger into the mining approval process. Any project should have an assessment as to whether it's good for the climate or bad for the climate before it's given any type of environmental approval. Under that proposal by the Greens, new mines and developments that emit more than 100,000 tonnes of carbon would be banned. Meanwhile, off the back of the Jobs Summit last week, the government hopes to introduce new industrial relations legislation by the end of the year. Yeah, so Labor wants to broaden access to multi-employer bargaining agreements. This is one of the big stories to come out of the Jobs Summit. Basically, it will allow workers across different companies in the same industry to share the same wages and conditions. But Annika, this seems to be um, a move by Labor that's going to get a bit of fight from the opposition. Yeah, look, and they need somewhere to fight back. Uh, the popularity of the government's quite high at the moment. That often happens after elections. But the opposition is looking for a fight. And traditionally, they've been the ones that stand up for small business when it comes to small business fights versus union fights. This one could actually be one that works. Now, there has been some support from the Council of Small Businesses saying they're actually okay with this to a certain extent. They're going in with an open mind to negotiations. That doesn't mean there won't be some small business owners out there that aren't happy and will be looking for someone to stand up for them in this fight. So yeah, look, uh, given the opposition's terrible position at the moment, I think they'll sort of be happy to take this one on. And Donald Trump has held his first rally since the raid on his estate at Mar-a-Lago, saying this about Joe Biden. He's an enemy of the state. He went on to tell his supporters in Pennsylvania that the search on his home was a travesty of justice, accusing Biden of an abuse of power, even though the Justice Department and the FBI act independently of the White House. Yeah, it's still not confirmed whether Trump will be running in 2024. 
But if he is, his ambitions could be derailed after this raid. The FBI recovered more than 11,000 government documents from his house, including 48 empty folders labelled as classified. Last week, Biden slammed Trump and his supporters, saying mega forces are determined to take the country backwards. Do you think he's going to run again? Look, it does seem that way. I'm a bit uh, torn on this one as somebody that's had their house raided looking for government documents. Um, I know it's not a lot of fun, but if he's broken the law and there's uh, issues here, you know, it, it really will, I guess, not only derail his attempt to get back, it, it could actually legally prevent him. But I think what that does to people that support him is actually embolden them, Tom. You know, it just feeds into that idea that people are out to get him. And if anything, it'll actually make him more popular amongst Republicans, perhaps. Well, I think it's inevitable that he's going to run. Why else would he be holding all these rallies? I think that's going to happen. What will be interesting is how the Republican Party respond. Do they just go with him again? Or, you know, to this, I guess, growing list of issues around Trump Um, split the support within the Republican Party. A big match in the US Open today. Nick Kyrgios will take on world number two, Daniel Medvedev. If he wins, he'll be through to the quarterfinals. Now, Nadal made it through his third round match in straight sets. Yeah, while over the weekend, the big match, um, Serena Williams played what looks like her last ever match and she lost in the third round to an Australian. Yeah, it was a big win for Isla Tomjanovic. Um, she's ranked 46 in the world. So to take on Serena, under so much pressure, Annika, I mean, she had to stand out there and watch all this fanfare for Serena. And then she lost the second set, came back in the third. So to me, that's uh, an amazing result for her showing extreme mental toughness to be able to win in those circumstances. Absolutely. The crowd was not on her side. They were even cheering her faults, but she didn't seem to mind. She uh, got there in the end, which is incredible for the Aussie. Meanwhile, former world number one Victoria Azarenka has called on the women's tour to do more to protect young and vulnerable players from abuse. It's a very sensitive subject because, you know, you won't hear those stories unless players come out and, and tell those stories that happens right and left on the tour, which is unfortunate. And our job, you know, is, is to be a be- better at safeguarding. This comes after a 50-year-old French coach was charged with raping and assaulting one of his players, claims he denies. And one of the biggest bands in history, Nirvana, has won a lawsuit over the iconic photo of a naked four-month-old baby on the cover of its 1991 album, Nevermind. So Spencer Eldon, who was the baby in that image, claimed the photo was sexual exploitation and caused him a loss of enjoyment of life, suing for 220000 Australian dollars. But a US judge uh, didn't see it that way, said Eldon had waited too long to make the claim. Um, there's a statute of limitations of 10 years and Eldon is 31 years old and this decision prevents him from filing a fourth complaint against Nirvana. So, I mean... It does seem like this guy left it too long, but he only got 200 US dollars for that photo back at the time. So it'd be nice if they could share some of the cash with him, don't you think? (laughs) I think it's his parents that made the money too, Tom. All right, Annika, we'll catch you again tomorrow. Katrina Blouse is about to join me to look at this fascinating research about how rich your friends are. (laughs) 
All right, now to research that shows how rich your friends are affects your future bank balance, Katrina. Yeah, this makes me want to definitely go out and get some more rich friends. Um, researchers from some prestigious universities in the US, including Stanford and Harvard, have analysed billions of social media connections on Facebook. And they've found when poor children live in an area where they have friendships with more affluent kids, it significantly increases how much they'll earn when they become adults. Yeah, this study concludes the friendships between rich and poor more than any other factor, explain why children in some neighbourhoods do better later in life than others. So it's really interesting. And to tell us how these dynamics work and how we can use this information to lift more people up, we're joined by one of the study's authors, Matthew O. Jackson, who's a professor of economics at Stanford University. Matthew, thank you for joining us. How did this research work? Well, we were interested in understanding, you know, what it is about people's social environments that helps them get ahead. And so we were able to take advantage of um, Facebook data, which has a lot of information about people's friendships, their friendship patterns, where they make friends, and a whole host of other things. And so we were able to use that to try and understand, you know, what helps people get ahead in life in terms of you know, if you were born into a poor family, how do you manage to to rise out of poverty? What were the metrics that you used to figure out whether someone was wealthy or had wealthy friends? Well, so, you know, there's um, a lot that you can see about people from their Facebook um, profile. So we can tell where someone lives, whether they went to college, what kind of phone they have, whether they donate things. Um, so there's a whole series of behaviors that we can take advantage of. And then using information from the census data, we were able to pinpoint you know, what the income in a very specific area is. And so then we used a, a series of models, computer models to estimate people's incomes. And it, you know, then we could match it up with information we knew. And we're able to do a pretty good job of seeing what somebody's income is going to be. Okay, so the study found that poor children um, who grew up in neighbourhoods where 70% of their friends were wealthy would increase their future incomes by 20% on average. Now, I was wondering, does that happen because by virtue of living amongst people like that, you have access to better facilities, potentially opportunities, even part of a a wider culture with the kinds of habits that are going to land you um, with a wealthier life? Or is it about the individual personal connections between someone who is poorer and someone who is richer and the way that individual relationship changes your life? Yeah. So the studies offer us a bunch of clues as to how this works. And, and, you know, one thing that surprised us was, you know, we looked at a lot of different measures of your social environment. And the one that you mentioned, what we call economic connectedness, you know, whether Poor people have a lot of friends that are, you know, above median income. So if, if they have wealthier friends, what's the chance that they get ahead? And that seemed to be the ultimate predictor. You know, why exactly that's working is something we can't see directly in our data. But there's a lot of reasons from the broader research um, that's been done on this question that we have reasons to believe that, you know, exposure to other people makes a big difference in somebody's outcomes you know, just to, to name a few things that are likely candidates, when you think about a kid growing up 
what do their friends provide for them? Well, you tend to act like your friends. So if they're doing homework every night and studying for exams and thinking about going to college, you tend to do the same thing. If they're not doing any of those things and, and doing something else, you tend to do whatever else they're doing. And that makes a difference. Once you get out of, of school, most people find jobs through friends. So it's, it's very rare for people just to land a job without having some connection to the place that they end up working. And so, you know, if you have people that are friends that are well-employed, you know, if you want to work in finance or you want to work in high tech, if you don't have friends there, it's going to be a lot harder to get in the door. And so, you know, you put all these things together and it's not surprising that people that have, you know, more diverse friendship patterns and, and more connections to people that are well-off are going to have a much higher chance of advancing than others. But how close does the connection need to be? Do you just need to be, you know, surrounded by these people living in the same community, maybe even sharing a classroom? Or do you have to know them a bit more closely for for that to have an, an effect on you? Interestingly, both things matter. So we're, we're able to measure both. You know, we can look, say, in a high school and see whether or not somebody is exposed to a lot of wealthier people. But then we can also see whether they actually make friendships with those. They're more or less equally predictive. So First of all, you need to be around people like that, and that helps. But you also get a you know an extra big push from from having the friendships. So both of those are predictive of the eventual outcomes, and more or less equally. You, you, you know, having people around makes a difference, but also having those friendships makes a big difference as well. Now you mentioned that statistic of seventy percent. You need to have seventy percent of your friends who are wealthier than you are. Why that number? 70% would be what a typical wealthy person does. So so just one of the numbers we give in the paper is say, you know, if you take a, a typical poor person, you know, it's about 38% of their friends that are wealthy. A typical rich person has about 70% of their friends that are wealthy. So if you take a, a typical poor person, the ones that live in areas where they have friendship patterns that look like a typical rich person end up having 20% higher income. So that's sort of where that number comes from. But more or less, it's it's a pretty linear relationship. So the more friends that people have that are above median income, the higher the predicted income they're going to have uh, when they grow up. And you looked right across America. So what did you learn about different communities and, and the way they're set up and, and I guess how ghettoized they are into different socioeconomic groups? Yeah. So, you know, I think there, there's a bunch of things that pop out when you look at the data um, geographically. You know, one is that there's a huge variety of area. If, if you look within an area, you can look within a particular city, you know, take Chicago area or, you know, New York area or Los Angeles area. And there'll be neighborhoods that have very strong economic connectedness and other areas that don't. And they might be right next to each other. So, you know, it, there's something about local structures and so forth that matter. And then, you know, we can drill in. So there's a lot of variety and, and there's variety around the country. But you also see that, you know, areas in the South have worse connectedness than areas in, say, the upper Middle West. So there's other, you know, geographic patterns. You also see things like where people make most of their friends. So poor people tend to make most of their friends in their own neighborhood or in their high schools. When you look at people who are, are wealthier, a lot of their friendships end up being made in college and end up being made in their workplace. And, um, you know, so there's different patterns and where people are making friends and those, you know, how cohesive and how well connected those are depend on the area itself. So what do these findings tell us then about good policies for lifting people up? 
Um, you know, so one thing that is pretty, I think, strong in the data is that when you look at institutions, say, look at a school or a university, the size of it actually is fairly predictive. And the same thing is of, of an employer. If it's a fairly small institution, there's going to tend to be many more cross-class friendships than if it's a huge place. And, and that makes a lot of sense. You know, when you think about a school, if the school has thousands of kids in it and, you know, some of them are taking advanced classes and others are, are taking um, remedial classes, that's likely going to be segregated by income and class. And so those friendships are unlikely to form. If you put people in the same classroom and they're, they're spending time day after day after day, they'll get to know each other. They'll know more about each other. Their norms will be more similar. They'll interact a lot more. One thing is that you need to have people next to each other so across classes, and then you also need to foster those friendships. So just putting them in a giant institution together isn't going to get you know people to to have cross class friendships. You actually have to put them in you know smaller units where they're actually interacting on a regular basis, and and that seems to be pretty strong in the data. So do you think America is changing in a way that is encouraging more cross class friendships or less? We have sort of a snapshot. You know, we're, we're looking at, at one piece of time and we can see people's friendships back in time and so forth. You know, from just looking at a given high school across cohorts, which we can see in the in the data, things look pretty steady. So we don't see a big change over short periods of time. But there's certainly big changes in our lives. So if we think about what social media are doing to our lives, mm. you know, the, our ability to connect to other individuals over long distances and so forth is much greater. But at the same time, you know, those platforms and so forth might be tending to push us towards people who are more similar. It's easier to find somebody who has exactly your same interests and your, your same background. So I think, you know, when you look at the forces, there's forces pushing in both directions. There's forces that allow us to be connected to more individuals than ever before at greater distances. But they're also allowing us to connect to some more similar people who think the same way and have the same backgrounds that we do. So should someone hearing about this research, maybe listening to it right now here on the briefing, should they take this information and say, well, I need to make more rich friends? What I usually take away from these sorts of things is that our networks, you know, our, our personal networks are more insulated and they look more like us than we, real, we tend to realize. And that's true of everybody. You know, understanding that and understanding some of the consequences is important. And, you know, what that can mean is that it's good for us to venture out a little further than we would normally. You know, so personally, I, I you know, as a, as a person, an economist, I might tend to go to conferences and other areas like sociology conferences or other kinds of things to meet people I normally wouldn't meet and to understand how they think and what they do. And so the more we realize how, you know, idiosyncratic our own structures are, the more, you know, we can tend to, to try and overcome that. As humans, we tend to to really feel comfortable around people that we really understand well and think just like us and have the same preferences and so forth. So it's tough to, to actually do that. Yeah, I mean, we've been talking about this on an individual level, but on a societal level, is it better for society overall to have these cross-class relationships and that kind of economic mobility that can come from that? Yeah, I think, you know, there's other research that tends to show that places that have less inequality and more mobility tend to have higher productivity, better welfare overall. That's not causal research, but it, it you know, there's tends to be correlations to say that if you're in a society that where things are more equal and people have those opportunities, that the society tends to function uh, better. You know, having highly segregated you know, networks 
is a recipe for you know having more problems in terms of polarization and and um, uh, just difficulties in mm. general. So I I think it it's part of a much broader picture that we know something about and this doesn't give us the secret recipe for how to how to get out of it but it does show us that these individual connections on a, a personal level across classes make a big difference in people's lives that was matthew o jackson a professor of economics at stanford university with that awesome research i mean it just sounds like such great data that facebook data they're able to cut up for this research it also just makes me think of our school system here in australia katrina and it, and it worries me that you know more of just the wealthier kids go to private schools, they're not part of our public school yeah. system and therefore we don't get that cross-class crossover. No, and it's impossible to do so unless you have community networks or you're, you're vigilant as a parent in, in terms of, you know, getting your kids out into the community and mixing with kids from all different backgrounds. Uh, it's almost impossible to do that if, if your kids are in that sanctified bubble of a private school system and it it brings to mind too you know that expression a rising tide lifts all boats Mm. and I think that that's definitely relevant here it's beautiful research at its heart and um yeah it it sort of showcases the the very best in human nature ultimately and, and what that can do through friendship yeah, I think there's tankouts there for the way we plan our cities as well about the kinds of housing we make and how affordable it is and what the mix is in certain suburbs. And, you know, if we just have rich suburbs and poor suburbs and they're separate, then we're also going to miss out on the benefits of that cross-class crossover. All right, tomorrow on The Briefing, we're going to find out why Japan is looking at restarting its nuclear power facilities despite the massive destruction that was caused at Fukushima. Listener.